0: Hey there. It's been a while. It's been five years, almost to the day, since this podcast first appeared in your podcast feed, Crossing Broadcast. Back then it was me and Kyle Scott, a a guy who was a basement blogger, and Adam Lefko who was working at Bleacher Report. And well, the show's changed over over the years. And uh, hell, it's been a year and a half since we've actually recorded an episode and put it in this feed. We're not coming to you from the illustrious 610 ESPN studios. No, no. It's just the podcast and we're here to have fun. We are here to have fun. I don't know what the show is. I don't know what it's called. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know if we're ever going to do it again, but for now, th- we are here. So you can, you can enjoy this for however long this lasts, but it's me and Bob Wankel, Big Bet Bob. He's over there. He's wearing a bright shirt, very Easter themed, and he's excited to talk about Philadelphia sports today. Bob, how are you, my friend?
1: I'm all right. That's a a hell of a sales pitch to everybody there. We don't know if we're ever going to do this again. We have no idea what we're doing, what it's called, but we're here and we're doing it. And listen, I mean, this is, this is the week where we dust off the mics crossed up with me and and Anthony. It's back. We're doing this show, whatever this is, it's back. (laughs) And I mean, listen, there's a lot to talk about right now. You have the You have the Philadelphia Phillies really captivating the city through 12 games. A lot of really great things happening there with the fight in Phils. Off to a nice 4-8 start. You got the Philadelphia Eagles and and trade rumors that are probably never going to come to fruition. That's exciting. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you have the 76ers who, after about, I don't know, a month and a half to two months of James Harden, everybody kind of wrote them off. It's going to be a quick playoff exit, and here they are with a 2-0 lead, Ross. Lots of good things they,
0: out. There's a lot there. And there's there's even more stuff that we might get to towards the end of the show, but I want to be clear because I, I put this out in the podcast feed earlier today, earlier on Wednesday, and I said, we want to hear from the folks, uh, the people who are subscribers to this feed who listen to Crossing, or who read Crossing Broad. We said, we want to hear from you about what kind of show you want to hear. And I, I feel like podcasts continue to change right like the the entire landscape of what a podcast is and what makes it special or what makes it unique i mean the the market is so oversaturated at this point with podcasts that you have to do something that differentiates you from all the other shows and so to that end you and i have talked about the possibility of doing a quick hitter show like this where it's like 30 minutes in and out biggest topics in philadelphia sports none of the nonsense a lot of fun hit it with some facts maybe a little bit of numbers here and there and just offer our best takes on Philadelphia sports. So let's get into it, Bob. And look, the Sixers are, are going to take the court in Toronto tonight. They're going to be without Matisse Thibel. I know you're a big Sixers guy, just like I'm a big Phillies guy. Uh, be honest. Because I know that from a, from a cynic standpoint, there's a small part of you that wants to watch the Sixers fail. Just so that our Slack chat blows up. Like, I know that's all you care about right now is how can we piss off everybody in Slack? Let's go there first. Are you surprised that the Sixers have taken a 2-0 lead? And do you think that this team might actually be better
1: than people kind of thought they
0: were entering the postseason?
1: Am I surprised that they took a 2-0 lead? No, but I will say this, right? You see in the background, it's the fouls and everyone's talking about the referees and how much the Sixers get to the line. And, you know, of course they're getting to the line because they're being fouled. Can't you just see it in your mind tonight? Nick Nurse finally gets in their heads. The whistles kind of slow up a little bit. It's 2-1, then you're looking ahead to the weekend. Are they going to call it? Will they not call it? What's going to happen? Sets up a little drama. Or do you think the Sixers are going to come out tonight and just drop the hammer, 3-0, lights out? This was never in doubt. That's the question, right? But when I I look into the future, I know the Sixers are a better team. I believe they're going to win the series. I do. But don't you just kind of see it? Just two days of everybody bitching on Sports Talk Radio about the whistles, about getting to the line, about calling legitimate fouls. It just is so Philadelphia to its core that I could just see it happening.
0: Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of, there. there is a huge issue here, right? And it's, it was funny because we did the Sixers uh, Twitter spaces on the Crossing Broad channel over on the Crossing Broad Twitter. We're going to do it again for game three, so make sure if you if you didn't follow us on the first two games, hopefully social media guy Dave is going to remember to record this time. He forgot to do it the first time. The second time I gave him shit and said, please make sure you don't forget to record, and he did. So game. So listen, the third time, either he's going to do it or I'm going to take over the, the entire account. But w- we did a post-game show, and the, my favorite standout comment that came from that show was a guy came in, called in from Toronto, and he goes, uh, well, you know, if, uh, if it weren't for the, uh, the free throws, the uh, Raptors win this game 87 to 86. I'm like, well, you know what? That is a good point. If we removed a fundamental part of the game of basketball, yes, the Raptors would have won. And I'm sure that there's an alternate reality where that sounds like a really great thing, but it, it does not – exist here it is not a real thing so no silly goose that that's not a thing i I don't know man like there there is nothing like this in another sport right like you don't you don't see people complaining about intentional walks i mean it it happened what last (laughs) week where there was an intentional uh walk that led to a run with the bases loaded but like
1: there's nothing in another sport that kind of compares to this right no, I mean, listen, the, the, when you listen to this, and, and the thing that it's kind of interesting, and we talked about, like, I'm not a diehard NBA guy, I'm not going to sit here and pretend to be, but just as a casual observer, a guy that wants the team to win. Like, though I do like to see that one psycho on our Slack chat kind of unravel when the Sixers are up 12 in the third quarter of a game. I mean, you know, other than that guy, I, I, want the, I want the team to win, I want them to do well. And it's just kind of interesting as, you know, someone that sort of sits on the outside and watches these games unfold and the way that people talk about them, I mean, if if you're being fouled and it's in the context and and in the framework of the rules, then, then you go to the line. Maybe it's not the best product to watch, but I mean, at least from this, this standpoint, who cares? Just get it done. It's like if me as a diehard Eagles fan, the Eagles win every game nine six and make a postseason run and they play like the the 2000 Ravens. It doesn't need to be aesthetically pleasing. It just needs to be effective, but it's really interesting to watch how people kind of converse and, and talk about what has happened in these games. I mean, they're, they're getting to the line because they're getting mauled. And it is going to be interesting to see if there's sort of a counter-reaction to it. And you look at the line tonight. The Sixers have blown this team out of the water now. Games one and game two. And, you know, I always kind of take a betting angle, always keep a, a look at things in terms of the betting realm, and you see that the Sixers are only favored by two tonight. And there's two different ways that you can look at this. It's oh, this is bait, you know, because the Sixers are just demolishing this team. Now everyone's going to take them to go up 3-0, and it's going to be 2-1 by 1030 tonight. Or there was so much juice and so much chatter about the the Raptors winning this series, this being the the slam dunk upset pick series, right? This is Mm -hmm. one last chance for people to kind of get reeled back in on the Raptors. If they're going to make their move, it's got to be tonight. And so maybe, maybe this is a little bit of a bait line and you see the Sixers really just come out and drop the hammer.
0: Well, it's an interesting thing too, because you, you know, going into this game, you're going to be without Matisse Thybul, who got the first shot. He got his, his first, uh, vaccine dose and then opted not to get the second one. Um, I'm actually wondering, you know, our, our colleague, Kevin Kincaid, he's not going to be traveling up there. I do wonder if they're going to let him write about the Toronto Raptors without getting, you know, two or three boosters first, but well, that remains to be seen. Um. It, it is interesting. Like, I, I said this in the, the Twitter spaces after Game 1 and Game 2. The thing that you you have to try to make up for is Matisse Theibel as your team's best wing defender. You don't have him at your disposal. They're going to have to rely a lot on Danny Green, who's had a decent enough start to the series. And the, the issue, obviously, then becomes Danny Green's going to be likely a starter tonight. He's going to play extended minutes. He's going to probably have to jack up more threes than normal because somebody's got to make up for thigh shots, although it's not that many. Um, but he's going to be called upon to play a bigger defensive role, which could, in theory, throw him off his offensive game. So then it becomes, can Tyrese Maxey continue shooting the lights out from downtown and 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 not? And I think for the first time, there's actually pressure on James Harden to perform in this series, right? Because you need to be able to take that – that offensive burden off of what Danny Green might have to do. You have to, at some point, if you're James Harden, step up. And, and maybe if you're not the same MVP candidate, right, the MVP caliber player, you have to be a guy that this team can rely on throughout the, the course of the game. It can't just be in spurts. It can't just be playmaker James Harden. He's, he has to assert himself offensively at some point in the series. Tonight is the perfect time. Put your foot on the Raptors throat. Don't let them back into the series.
1: Well, as a guy who had James Harden over 19 and a half points parlayed together with the Sixers to win game two, uh, I did not appreciate that he did not score a single point after the half. Uh, so he finishes with 14 and was at 14 at, at, the, at the half. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, like tonight, I think I'm going to go back to the well on that, by the way, because he's going to need to be more of an offensive presence. Uh, so I'm going to double down, and, and I believe in James Harden to score at least 21 and a half points tonight. Um, well, you know, it, there show, are... My, my question is this, so you, you look at Matisse Thybul, you know, what did he log? I think 10 minutes in game one. I think he had, what, 19 minutes in the other game. You, you're talking about f- roughly 14 and a half minutes per, per game so far through two games. It, w- are the Sixers just going to have to score 130 points tonight to win this game? Is that, is that going to be the style that they have to play? Or can they, can they reasonably, without him on the wing, kind of limit this to a, a 105, 110 type of game?
0: I honestly don't know if they have it in them to score 130 on the road. Uh, I would guess that they've got to win like a 118-114 game tonight would be my guess. Um, the the issue, I guess, if you're Toronto, looking at the most recent injury report, which they've been putting out you know, almost hourly at this point uh, through NBA.com, you obviously have Matisse Thibels out, Bassie's out. Um, you've got Scotty Barnes, who's doubtful for the Raptors, and you've got Gary Trent Jr., who's now listed as uh, probable. So it's, it's not as if the Raptors are missing key cogs of the rotation barnes being out would be a hit for them conceptually fred van vliet isn't going to fall off like he did in game two he was an abject failure for large stretches of that game fred van vliet is probably going to catch fire at some point in game three the question is can you mitigate the damage and who's going to be the one to defend him um but like in terms of you know what can this team do on on the perimeter I don't know. Like, I don't know what this is actually going to look like. I have to assume that it's going to be a higher scoring game because anytime you throw a legitimate wrench into your rotation, especially defensively, it it can throw your entire game plan out of whack. So there is going to be an increased focus on Danny Green's ability. There's going to be increased focus on Tyrese Maxey. and, And honestly, there's going to be a lot of eyes focused on James Harden defensively. And like I said, he's got to assert himself offensively. He, he's been able to engage more defensively, it seems, because the offensive burden hasn't fallen on him. So there's a lot to keep an eye on here. I want to touch on this really quick because you can go over to CrossingBroad.com. Bob brought up the odds, of course, CrossingBroad.com. You're home for all of the best legal online sports betting news and notes. Phil Keidel, uh, in his Sixers-Raptors Game 3 preview. Let's just go over these really quick. And Bob, let me let me know if you like these or not. So he's got, with the sixers to win, and over 217 points, which I think we probably both agree with. You can get that, of course, at FanDuel Sportsbook. Make sure you go over to the Crossing Broad site. Click through there. Helps me and Bob. Uh, you can also get Joel Embiid under 32.5 points as Phil's play tonight. He says the Raptors have not given up more than 31 points to Embiid in four straight games. Uh, so that's a, a prop that he likes and wants to hit. Um, Fred VanVleet, under 21.5 points. This is where Phil and I might differ. Um, it, it, it isn't Interesting pick here. You can go over to Crossing Broad and read uh, all about Phil's rationale for why he's taking Van Vliet under 21 and a half points. But from my vantage point, he needs to score. He's also got a Pascal Siakam double double. It's uh, minus 133 at Fox Bet, so you can check that out as well. Bob, how do you feel about Phil's picks tonight? He has been riding a hot streak. Phil's been doing a really good job with this. I don't know if it's quite at the
1: at the clip when he does the uh, golf previews, but this is pretty good. Hey, listen, I'm not going to argue or go against any of Phil's picks on this show because he will listen and then I will have to hear about it and then he will want to talk about it until 11.45 tonight after he's had a, a drink or two. And I just would like to avoid that altogether. That being said, uh, I actually agree on the over. In fact, if you want to actually pair up the Sixers and you know the, the over to hit, you can grab them and just take the Raptors out of the equation altogether. Uh, Sixers team total is 108 and a half tonight. So if that's kind of where you're trending, that might be an alternative way to do it. Embiid, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, if they've held him under that number for four straight games, you say, okay, that makes a lot of sense. The only caution there is obviously you saw what he did in the first quarter the other night. Looked like he was a quarter of the way to 75 points there. Um, You know, the game kind of got away from Toronto. I think that they were able to, even with him on the floor, they were able to kind of go away from Embiid a little bit didn't really put it on his shoulders quite as much so it's a little bit dangerous because if they have to isolate on him the Sixers and they really rely on him in this game and it's a competitive game which I would expect it to be tonight I don't see the Sixers winning this game by double digits you'd think that he'd probably be a little bit more involved from start to finish and and it could maybe be trouble for that number that would be the only pushback I'd have on that rationale
0: the question I guess becomes does Nick Nurse follow through on what he and Embiid kind of jawed at each other about in the fourth quarter the other day like is, is this going to be a scenario where they are going to just continuously foul Joel Embiid hard and get him to the line a bunch? If he does, like if Embiid goes to the line 15 times or something, right, you have almost half your points, right? Because he's going to probably hit 13 or 14 of, of those attempts from the line. He might get there more. If my logic here on James Harden is sound, which I think it is, and you see him jacking up more shots, and hopefully he hits at a decent clip, I think it's going to take away from the possibility of Embiid having a monster, monster night from the field. This all comes down to the free throws. So, it, it is a risky play, I think, either way. You might want to tease that, that number a little bit, depending on the sports book that you go through. Of course, remember crossingbroad.com. Go look for the Sixers, Raptors betting preview, read Phil's rationale. All right, so that's the Sixers. Th- uh, I, I want to get here, Bob. I, I need to talk to you momentarily about the team that you cover. And cover better than anybody in the city, if we're being honest. That's the Philadelphia Phillies. Um, Apparently, Joe Girardi's getting fired. Didn't know that. Apparently, it's happening. Um, I I need you to try to be the voice of reason here. One, should Joe Girardi be on the hot seat after a 4-8 start? Uh, And and is this a scenario where we once again see a team that's poorly constructed and you just kind of wonder what the manager could do differently? Or have you watched these games and said, man, the head-scratching moments are growing more and more frequent."
1: I think there's a lot to digest when you look at the Phillies' first 12 games. If you're not in love with Joe Girardi, I I understand that. If you didn't want to bring him back for this season, I get that too. I really can't push back against that idea. However, that being said, you bring him back, and then you want to dismiss him after 12 games. And I just don't think that that's a fair proposition. That being said, is he on the hot seat? Should he be on the hot seat? Yeah, maybe. I mean, when you look at this team... The way that it was constructed, the way that it was finally supposed to push through, be this really fun team to watch. It's going to be a party at Citizens Bank Park, just like it was from 2007 to 2011. And right now, they're not only bad, and they're bad in a lot of different ways, but they're just not fun to watch. And I guess that should go without saying, if you're not winning, of course it's not fun. But it's a dog shit performance, night in, night out. I mean, and it's just a really poor watch. It's not very fun. When you step back and take a deep breath, though, I do think that the managers probably owed at least 40 games to kind of try to get his hands on this thing, figure out what works, what doesn't. You talk about a shortened spring training. Guys were a little bit off schedule this offseason. I think that you have to at least give him until the middle of May, third week of May. And if it's a train wreck at that point and they're woefully underperforming, then yeah, you can't you can't alter this roster anymore. Uh, there's really no obvious move that they can make in the short term. And you've seen now for multiple seasons that this team just seems to kind of lack some edge, lack a killer instinct. And while I put a lot of that on the players, the one commonality here is Joe Girardi. And I just wonder if the Phillies would say, we've got to do something. And even if they don't want to do it, they do it anyway.
0: Yeah, as much as I don't want to make this comparison because I hate so many things about it, and I hate that I, I'm i probably right about it, this feels like the Flyers with Elaine Vigneault entering this season. It was a big question in the offseason of are they going to bring this coach back? Should they bring this coach back? There's enough here that might indicate that it's time to move on. But you go, now, the, the, the guy has been a winner. The guy has racked up a ton of wins. In Girardi's case, he's won a World Series. Um, and, and then you end up in a scenario where like you're a, a small percentage into your season, and it looks like a lot of the flaws that existed on the team a year ago, are still here despite there being some roster turnover. And in the Phillies' case, despite the fact that they've actually added top-tier talent, at least conceptually, in Schwarber and Castellanos, these are things that should not be happening again when you add impact players to your lineup the way that this team has done.
1: Yeah, and listen, I mean, you look at where the Phillies' starting pitching's been, it has not been very good. Uh, Kyle Gibson's given them some quality outings. Zach Wheeler's really struggling. Aaron Nola was good in the series opener against the Rockies, but other than that, he's kind of been, you know, underwhelming. So, mm-hmm. is that and Joe Girardi? Is that his fault? He hasn't handled pitching particularly well this season. It seems like every move that he makes in the bullpen has, has sort of backfired when it's been a higher leverage situation and the game's been in a state of flux. There there's just a lot of things and it's kind of snowballing on the Phillies altogether right now. And I I don't think it's necessarily fair. I don't think that it's all of his fault, nor did I feel like it was all of Gabe Kapler's fault, right? Like there it's on the players. It's at at the end of the day, it is on the players. They play. But I do look at the lineups, the consistent shuffling day in, day out. You know, you bring in Kyle Schwarber for him to hit leadoff, and granted, he was very unproductive the first nine games of the season when they finally took him out of the leadoff spot, but the whole fundamental reason that you signed him was finally to bring some stability to the leadoff spot, and then you abandon ship after nine games, and players, I think, you know, read into that a little bit. I think that players feel that. They say, this guy's tight right now, and we are tight. You play off the manager. He sets the tone in the clubhouse, and... I can't help but think that the players feel the pressure that Joe Girardi feels right now. And, and I just think if they don't turn it around, he will not be here come the middle of June. I mean, I think, that, I, I think that there's a very good possibility two months in if they are underperforming from where their expectations are set and they can't kind of rebound here, he's, he's not going to make it through the season. I, I believe that.
0: It's a tricky spot to be in. Are you surprised that Schwarber struggled? the way that he has.
1: You know, you listen to everyone talk about how he's a traditional slow starter and, you know, he only hit 200 for a month and a half last season. Okay. But, uh, yes, I am a little bit surprised at the at the numbers. Now, he is seemingly heating up a little bit. Uh, had a couple hits. Had a big home run last night. It looked like it was going to be the game winner. He's a good enough hitter uh, where that you would think that he's just going to be able to flip the switch. It's not going to be a slow buildup. It's just going to be, bam, he's back. Uh, so I wouldn't be worried about that. I would not be worried about Kyle Schwarber. I wouldn't be worried about Nick Castellanos. I wouldn't be worried about Bryce Harper, so long as that elbow's okay. Like Here's where you can mm-hmm. worry about Bryce Harper. Not necessarily stat line offensively, but if you're going to have to play extended periods of time with Kyle Schwarber and Nick Castellanos as your corner outfielders, That's going to be a problem. I've I've been a big believer that superior offense over 162 games will outweigh the shortcomings of a bad defense. But I will say, if those guys are going to be your anchor outfielders, your range is extraordinarily limited, and over time that's going to be a massive, massive problem for this team. So you have to hope that Bryce Harper is okay soon enough where, and hopefully this weekend, He's out playing a defensive right field for this team. And not that he's a gold glover, but he is substantially better than putting a guy like Nick Castellanos out there on a nightly basis.
0: I need you to put on your South Jersey Coach of the Year hat here for a second. If you're an opposing manager, and you know that those two are manning the corner outfield spots, do you alter fundamentally the way that you want your hitters to approach the game? Specifically, trying to hit you know, balls in the gaps and, and just watch these guys fail at chasing them down? Like, is that the play here? And well, and can Major League hitters adjust their approach enough to actually take advantage of that?
1: No, because, I mean, you want to drive the ball in the gaps. You, that's, that's your primary objective for most hitters to begin with. And because the game is scaled where you want to lift and you want to hit fly balls, and that's kind of the way it's taught now anyway, it just kind of conveniently plays into the Phillies' vulnerabilities. And, you know... You have issues at third base with Alec Bohm, who has swung the bat very well this season, but there are issues there, clearly. And then you have issues at first base with Reese Hoskins. I mean, right now, the Phillies are employing four different DHs, and they're all playing on the field together. Mm -hmm. And you can win like that, but you have to hit, and you have to pitch. And right now, they're not... Really getting any of those things with any consistency, nor have they been able to tie them all together. And that's how you lose eight out of your last 10 games and take all of the optimism and excitement that fans felt for the month leading up to the start of the season and blow it to smithereens on April 20th.
0: So, what you're saying is the Phillies still have a chance, though, so we're good there.
1: No, okay. listen, I know that that's a very pessimistic outlook, but um, I don't think that anybody should panic about these 12 games. I understand why you would, especially after watching this team the last couple seasons, but it is extremely early. There is a lot of talent there, and I do expect this team to play better.
0: The guy that always worries me the most is Aaron Nola, because if, first of all, it's unfortunate, because he's like the first real athlete that Yingling ever truly (laughs) sponsored, and as a Pottsville-born guy myself, I felt a certain attachment to Aranola, like one of us kind of thing. Like I can go down to Club 18 and you know get like a fresh draft, right? And like and and post up at the bar next to Arinola. Do I Nola need to go to like,
1: Club 18? Do, do I need to make a oh drive God. here from my? Listen, uh, I'll take. Denver, I,
0: let's. We will take you. We'll we'll go up there, and, and I don't know if they're still doing it. They used to have you know pizza late at night. Diane, the one. uh, bar attendant who would come out and you know serve at some of the tables get like a nice nice frozen pizza from down the the road at charlie's subs and let me tell you bob when you are drinking and when you know there's a hangover waiting for you the next day there's nothing quite like having a few more drafts of yingling lager and at least one of those pizzas all to yourself i'm just saying we'll have to plan a road trip going back some yinglings
1: watching aaron Knowles sling it oh yeah (laughs) crossing broadcast
0: on the road or whatever the show is going to be called, possibly if we ever do it again on the road in possible Pennsylvania at club 18. Um, but yeah, Noel is the guy who scares me because like Wheeler, I, you know, listening to you on crossed up, you know, noting that Wheeler's velocity's down is concerning, but I feel like Wheeler is a good enough pitcher and has proven to be in the last couple of years, a good enough pitcher to overcome certain hurdles. I, I know his ERA is, insane right now right wheeler's got what a 9.39 i think but nola to me is the bigger concern because if you don't have that guy whether he's your one or your two if he's not there it just increases the pressure on wheeler to be perfect every time out and that's the kind of pressure that wheeler should not have to have on him on this team
1: Yeah, so there's two things I have on Aaron Nola right now that I feel after watching three starts from him. And and number one, the other night in Colorado, he does a great job. You know, he gets into the sixth inning, he's going pitch for pitch, and he gives up a solo home run, and hey, that's going to happen. He had a very nice game the other night. What I thought was interesting, though, is Joe Girardi comes and gets him. And it was more or less, maybe not so much about the matchups in the moment, but it was hey, you know what? He's, he's had a nice night. This is something for him to build on. Let's not push him. And then, you know, he has he takes a step back and then you're kind of right back to where you were after his first two starts. When you're talking about a guy who is supposed to be your ace or your 1B or whatever you want to call him, when you have to think about, hey, this is something we can build on. We don't want to take away his positive momentum. This is a big series for the Phillies coming in. They needed to win this series. They needed to sort of right the ship. They've got their guy on the mound, and you're taking him out because you want to make sure that he feels good going into his next start. Now, Joe Girardi didn't say that, but you sort of read between the lines and know that that was part of the reason that he made the move when he did. And then you bring in Jose Alvarado, who looked determined to throw wild pitches, and the game gets to a point where it's 2-0 and out of reach the way that the Phillies were swinging the bat on Monday night. So that to me is a huge concern that are you treating him with kid gloves to the point where, Hey, Aaron, listen, good job. We know you didn't go eight. We know you didn't win the game, but you only gave up that one run and you should feel really good about that for your next start when you take on the Brewers this weekend. I mean, come on, man. So the, the other thing with Aaron Nola is when you do the deep dive into the statistics, you check out his baseball savant page and Statcast cast numbers and, Well, you know, he's pitched a lot better than what his true numbers suggest. His expected ERA is actually one and a half runs lower than his true ERA. Okay, and we've all done this. I talked about this on Crossed Up. We've all written these pieces about how Aaron Nola is actually better than you think because when you look at all of these different metrics, he grades out much better than his ERA suggests. But when you watch him over 35, 40 starts last year plus, you're kind of underwhelmed more often than not. He has those outlier games where you see what you want him to be, but there's far too many times where he just leaves you wanting more or comes up a pitch short, a batter short, an inning short. And that's like four minutes in a row. I think I'm talking about Aaron Nola, but he is a, a point of extreme frustration for any fan watching this team right now.
0: I mean, I know a lot about being short. Let's move on to a topic that's going to get people really hyped up here, Bob Philadelphia Eagles. They've been mentioned in trade rumors with two players. I kind of want to get an idea here of who you would be more excited about them signing. One is Tyron Matthew, who is a guy who obviously would really help in the secondary, would probably give the Eagles their best safety since, I don't know, like, do we say Malcolm Jenkins? Is he a better potential safety than what Malcolm Jenkins was? Um, And then the other one, the one that uh, made the news in the last couple of days, who I believe has officially now made a trade request, is Debo Samuel. Uh, You think about what that weapon would look like if you're thinking about trying to build an offense around Jalen Hurts and you want to see what you really have with Jalen Hurts which guy would get you more excited which guy would actually make the bigger impact are they the same or are they different
1: I think without question the answer to this is Debo Samuel for for multiple reasons I would just say from a pure spectator's point of view, watching the league, watching uh, Red Zone every Sunday, I think that Debo Samuel may be the most electrifying offensive player from skill position standpoint in the sport. I mean, I know you can argue Tyreek Hill, and there's some some really explosive receivers out in today's game, but I just think that Debo Samuel, he's one of the guys, one of the three or four guys in the game that you say, he's on TV, I need to watch. So mm-hmm. for the Eagles to be able to associate and attach themselves to a player of that That magnitude of that explosiveness, that's been, for years, you know, the Eagles have put together good offenses, even you look in 2017 when they were one of the best offenses in football, but they've never really had that guy. It's been a long time since they've had the elite playmaker on offense, and when you talk about a guy that can do it all, run every route in the route tree, he takes the ball out of backfield, almost 60 carries last year, I mean, my God, to have a player like him would be awesome. But, as you said, you talk about Jalen Hurts, and you want to know what you truly have in Jalen Hurts. I think that you need more offensive firepower than just Dallas Goddard, a quality offensive line, a pretty good run game, and Devontae Smith. I think you need more to really know what you have there. And if you don't have to make that massive investment in the quarterback position because you see that he can play with better talent around him, oh man, I think that would be a huge win for the Eagles. But at what cost? And that's the thing, too, is you have a lot
0: of draft capital, right? And you've actually kicked some of that down the road by an earlier trade this offseason. So, like, you do have bullets if you wanted to use them. Like, if you think that Debo Samuel is a guy who immediately raises your floor and your ceiling at the same time, which it would appear that he would, then, to me, you you go to San Francisco, and you have in your mind which assets you're okay with giving up. And then you think about, all right, if we're really pressed, if we're in a bidding war, do we include multiple first-round picks in next year's draft? And I think that it's probably safe to say, if, if you really do think that you have a shot to win this division, and I think the Eagles do, why not, right? It's a wide-open division for the most part. Debo Samuel is going to have a bigger impact on your team this year, next year, the year after than any first-round pick you go out and acquire in this year's draft, next year's draft. And, and in fairness... Unless you think that your goal here is to bottom out, which I don't think it is, to bottom out, or to hope that one of the picks you have for next year is going to be on a team that bottoms out and you're going to get a top five and you're going to go out and replace Jalen Hurts, unless that's your strategy, Debo Samuel by far is your best path to a legitimate impact player who makes this team better and at the same time gives you the ultimate answer is Jalen Hurts An NFL franchise quarterback. He'd have all the weapons in the world that he would need. This is how you get your answer.
1: And that's one upside of it. And then the other thing that you think about is that if he's not, and the answer is no, if you're a quarterback going in the next offseason, where do I want to play? Well, Philadelphia I don't think has been a preferred destination the past couple of seasons. Russell Wilson probably no interest in coming here right I don't think that Aaron Rodgers thing was ever really on the table but that being said take whatever quarterback may hit the market or becomes available going into 22 or going into the you know the, the 23 season Devonte Smith's here. Pretty good offensive line here. Debo Samuel's here. All of a sudden, the Eagles become a very, very palatable destination for a a player seeking a trade. Now, that being said, you have to pump the brakes a little bit. Why, presumably, would Debo Samuel want out of San Francisco? Well, you have to imagine. You look at Kyle Shanahan and how he was able to utilize and unlock him. You would think that Debo Samuel would want to be in that system. So you kind of have to assume that this comes down to money. And, you know, the 49ers probably want to keep him. But when you look at what Tyreek Hill just got, and you look at what Debo Samuel is, and the versatility, he probably fancies himself as the most productive, uh, you know, versatile, explosive offensive player in the game, and he probably wants to be compensated like that. And so yeah. where the Eagles are at with their cap situation, with the holes that they have on the defensive side of things, this is a philosophical fork in the road for this team. If he's truly available, do you really take your offense to the to the next level, but do it at the expense of leaving gaping holes and, and potential cap ramifications down the line by doing so? And so it's an intriguing question to ponder, but this isn't necessarily the big slam dunk like it would seem when you first pose the question.
0: So it it is interesting, though, because if you think about it, like the way that Howie likes to manipulate the cap, get the cap number low, defer money later on, hope that a guy doesn't get injured or that you don't have to go down, you know, a a dark path about dead cap like you did with uh, Anthony Sanfilippo's favorite quarterback in the NFL, Carson Wentz. If you you go the right way about this, you can also look at it and say, all right, well, Jalen Hurts is still on a cheap contract. So you've effectively kind of flip-flopped. What you would normally do, right? You would typically draft a, a wide receiver high because you have a high-paid quarterback and you're trying to get him another weapon. In this case, you have a low-paid quarterback and a high-paid, rec- uh, you know, high-paid uh, skill player. The question obviously becomes, all right, well, what happens if Jalen Hurts does have a big year? Because if he does, well, then you know, a year or two down the line, you're going to have to pay this kid a lot of money as your franchise quarterback, and at the same time, hope that Debo Samuel is going to be happy, sign an extension and that ultimately he's going to want to continue this relationship because otherwise you've now made Jalen Hurts into a franchise quarterback in terms of salary, and at the same time, maybe Jalen Hurts isn't that guy. It's just because he happened to have Debo Samuel at his disposal, right? Like, boy, it
1: could go. You can really play play that out in a lot of different ways, right? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And and if you unload a little bit of that that draft capital to – get Debo Samuel, and we talk about, oh, if Jalen Hurts isn't the guy, well, then you presumably needed that capital to go out and make a a future trade to bring a quarterback here if you're not going to do it through the draft. So, you know, like we said, it's fun. If they did the deal, here's what I would tell you. I know this to be true. If they did that deal, people would be to the moon. They'd be excited. They would view the Eagles as a viable threat to win the NFC East this year. Maybe make some noise in what does appear to be a little bit of a vulnerable NFC. I know that Tom Brady's back. I know Aaron Rodgers is back. I still think that this is a pretty open conference. But... I just don't know. I I believe that there's a right way to build a team and a wrong way to build a team. And I didn't think that the Eagles going out and spending significant capital to bring in a quarterback this season made a ton of sense because I think the Eagles are multiple parts away. And so while it's fun to think about and while I love the player, I would say that bringing in Debo Samuel probably doesn't put them substantially closer to winning a championship. And I do think it makes things murky moving forward. And so for that reason, I'm going to be so lame and say, I would not do it unless the conditions were favorable and his price is going to be through the roof. So there is no way in hell they're going to be favorable. We shall see.
0: It would be fun. It would be fun. The, the other thing that, that we haven't touched on here, and I don't think it's really worth diving all that much into, is the possibility that Kyler Murray is available from Arizona. And like to me, that is not a road I want to go down. Yeah, I, I wish I could go the But boy, I don't want to go down that road.
1: I hate that you feel that way because I'm with you and I would love to just kind of be combative with you right now. I was stunned and I know that the Rams went on to win the Super Bowl, but you watched that first playoff game and the body language and the demeanor and just the, obviously it was a terrible game from a football standpoint too, but there were some serious questions about Kyler Murray after that football game. And to make any type of massive investment in him on the heels of that game, no thanks. Now, maybe he goes out this season, takes a step forward, lights it up, has the regular season, makes some noise in the postseason. But if that happens, then is he on the market? Probably not. So if you're making that deal this offseason and there's some genuine interest there, I just don't know. For me, Russell Wilson I I don't think I I do it for the reasons I just said. I think there's many holes that this team needs to fill. I think that you need to try to address it. But I get it with Russell Wilson. I think he makes you a legitimate contender. I don't know that Kyler Murray is that. And I know there are a lot of people out there. I do. I know there's a ton of people out there that's like, he is so clearly better than Jalen Hurts. You're a moron. But I just don't know that he's clearly better to the point where it's going to make that type of difference to give up what you'd have to give up.
0: Uh, Bob, you could always go out and uh, take all your draft assets and you can get Kyler Murray and Debo Samuel and get Tyra Matthew to sign for a billion dollars because he'd win a championship. There's somebody out there right now who's uh, putting that together in Madden. All right. The, the real reason that we don't know about Kyler Murray, the reason that we know that the Cardinals will never win, of course, second shout out of the uh, episode for this. The 1925 Pottsville Maroons, the curse of the Maroons. They will. Ne- the Cardinals, The Cardinals cannot win a Super Bowl. ESPN did a podcast about it a little while ago. It's a great story. Go look it up. Final thing on our way out here, Bob, because we're gonna keep this. I think we're gonna keep this under the 45 minute mark. We went a little bit past 30. It's been a while. We had to dust off the microphones. We had to find our pacing again. I don't know. I think it's been a long time. I think you and I did a show one time. I think we did a crossed up like a year and a half ago. So pacing, you know, we're we're learning. We're learning. We're years into the I podcast game. We're still learning.
1: You get pacing's um, in the way of me saying that you're, you know, saying to me, way too long winded, Holmes. You know, that's No, simple.
0: you're you're delightful. Thank you. You're fantastic. Last thing on our way out here, we're going to touch on the orange and black for a second. Uh, not the team on the ice. Not the fact. By the way, Philadelphia Flyers. If you look on Tankathon right now, third. They're they're third. They can actually get a good draft pick. I'm very excited. Thing I'm not excited about. Chuck Fletcher is the GM making the pick. Anyway, the bigger story that came out this week is that the Flyers uh, are. Well, they've already found themselves embroiled in a lawsuit. And it's an absolutely horrible, horrible, horrible story that was broken by Anthony Sanfilippo of CrossingBroad.com. You might not know that if you found it on another site because it's, it's weird. It's the strange thing that happens. It's like if a, if a story is reported by Crossing Broad, it, it doesn't get linked to. It's very strange. Like Philadelphia Inquirer doesn't link to it. Um, Broad Street Hockey apparently doesn't think that it was a big enough story. And then when they eventually did it, they linked to NBC Sports Philadelphia, which is strange. Because they weren't the first ones to have that either. Uh, I noticed that um, Philly Hockey now, Sam Carciti who's uh, over there running the show there now, mentioned Anthony, but didn't link back to the story. It's very strange. Odd how some of these things happen, Bob. That's that's just something I've noticed over time. You want to have um, that
1: conversation but, before you get to the Flyers or after you get to the Flyers? Wow, well, it's, so, it's an interesting observation you make.
0: Yeah, it's it's strange because we tend to attribute breaking stories to other sites. We're I feel like we're in a one-way relationship, Bob. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. Working over at uh, CrossingBroad.com.
1: Well, it's interesting. I, I'll talk about the Phillies beat a little bit. Um, listen, I don't. I have not broken stories. Like, I don't really break stories. My game is more. Hey, listen, I'm gonna tell you what I think when I watch the game. I'm gonna break it down. What you should look at. What did I see? And I try to do it from more of like a, a technical baseball aspect. And that's that's the way I approach it. Um, I'm not traveling. We don't travel. We are. You know, I'm not there in the clubhouse at 2:45 on a lot of days. It's just not. It's not what I want to do. It's not what I aspire to do. I don't need to, to, you know, break information. I don't think it really matters, you know, for what I'm trying to do. That being said, uh, the guys on Philly Speed, Matt Gelb at The Athletic, uh, Scott Lauber, uh, Matt Bream when he was when he was here, uh, he, he since moved off into other things for the Inquirer. But uh, I'll frequently retweet stuff that I think is interesting, uh, that, you know, I'll, I'm more than happy to credit guys and stories And I like them as human beings, you know, I think they do a good job and why wouldn't I want, you know, people to read their stuff and why wouldn't I want to acknowledge publicly that, Hey, there's somebody else doing this job that is, is doing it really well, you know? So for, for me, and maybe it's because I, we don't work for traditional news outlets and because we aren't trying to sell subscriptions and, and things like that. Um, I, I just have no problem attributing credit to anybody who I think does a nice job, it doesn't seem like that's the, the, the situation, though, across the board, um, and I find that to be really strange, and I don't know if it's because Crossing Broad in its earlier days made some enemies, I don't know really what it is, but when you have a guy that, that scoops a massive story like the one you're about to talk about, and you're hard-pressed, I mean, everybody knows who broke that story, absolutely everybody knows who broke that story, so why not just say it? And why not just link to it? Why is that so hard? I find that strange.
0: It's kind of bullshit. If we're being honest here, and I've tried to assess this across the board, the Eagles beat, the Sixers beat, the Phillies beat, the Philadelphia Union beat, right? And then you compare the Flyers beat to it. I just think that the, the more that I would go down and cover the team, and now this year I haven't really at all. I haven't been to a game since November. The more that I've kind of macro viewed this, the more I realize it's just, it's a fucking amateur hour on the flyer's beat. And part of that happens right, when, you, when you move on from people who are like the traditional journalists with a capital J people. But like, we write for a blog, so I can't trash other blogs. I mean, I could, but I won't. But like, I, I don't trash somebody based on the outlet they write for. I think that's just incredibly lazy, it's petty, it's stupid. But like, it, it is weird especially in Anthony's case that like, that's somebody who had worked for the team. That's somebody who is very plugged into the organization so much so that we get complaints from the organization about some of the things that are reported and and are discussed on snow, the goalie, but like, I I don't conceptually understand it, but here's why I have the problem this time. This is a major story. Jim McCrossin and Sal Rafa are um, two of the most important members of the hockey side of the flyers organization. And they they're in a scenario or they're in a situation here where they're suing, uh, you know, the the team Spectacore and a, a bunch of other defendants that you can see, you know, outlined in Anthony's story, because they've both been diagnosed with nearly identical incurable blood diseases and or cancer, and it happened between the spring and summer of 2021. And there's a lot in that story that I think is. Um, It's just it's hard to read, and it's hard to read from the standpoint of like these guys have families, and in Sal Rafa's case, if you look at the bottom of the story, there's a picture of of him there with his family, including two little kids. And Bob, you and I are both dads, and the idea that you know you've been told you have a disease that is incurable, and in the case of at least one of them, you know, we're looking at a terminal illness, and. When a case like this comes up, it stands to reason that there had been a discussion between the plaintiffs in this case, right, and the defendants in the case. And I thought it was very strange and actually kind of gross. It was slimy in a way. Comcast's statement to Anthony said that uh, the safety of our employees and guests at Flyers training Training Center and all our facilities is always a top priority for us. That's good. We have looked into the allegations made by Jim McCrossin and Sal Rafa after the course of several months, Eh. and based on that, oh boy, believe that their claims have no merit. Beyond that, we cannot comment further, given that this matter is in litigation. Bob, what the fuck is that? What kind of statement is that? Here's an idea. Use the last sentence, or use the first and the last. The safety of our employees and guests at the Flyers Training Center and all facilities is always a top priority for us, Beyond that, we cannot comment further given this matter is in litigation. What the hell goes through somebody's mind to say, we've looked into these allegations and they have no merit? I mean, call me crazy, but two guys getting this kind of diagnosis, working in the same area, in the same room that happens to be you know, effectively butted up against where the Zamboni's kept, where there's all kinds of questions about the disposal of um, fluids from the machine and that... It runs on gasoline. You bring in carbon monoxide and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it seems like a strange thing to go public and say it has no merit. And if nothing else, it makes the organization and Comcast Spectacor and the whole thing just once again look like a villain. Even if you even if you don't believe that they are, it kind of sounds like a Bond villain sort of thing to say, does it not?
1: Yeah, it's the the Comcast Touch. You know, we'll call it that. It's the it's corporate insulation combative, you know, where they feel like we're going to take a very entrenched stance here and we're going to let people know that, Hey, not only, uh, you know, not only is there no validity to this, but like, we're, we're emphatically going to tell you that off the bat, we're going to, these guys, these guys are crazy. You know, that, that's sort of what you're doing there. And you said it, you can say we have the, uh, safety of our employees is of the utmost importance. We are not going to comment on this situation any further and we'll just let things play out as they will, right? You know, if you feel that you're on the right side of history here, that you did not knowingly do anything wrong, or that there is no correlation between your practices at that facility and these, uh, you know, diagnoses, okay, that's fine. You're, you're entitled to feel that way if you do a thorough review. But when you're talking about valued employees, people that have generated a lot of respect around the organization, this isn't just two, you know, we're not talking about two guys off the street here that made some some crazy claims out of left field. You're talking about very valued employees that have had a, a longstanding relationship with the organization and with this business. So to kind of dunk on them like that, it does show you sort of, again, and I know that you guys harp on this all the time, but you talk about being out of touch, kind of not knowing how to message uh, and where this organization as a whole under Comcast is sort of steered in the wrong way, it's just the latest example of that. Yeah, it's bad. It's bad, bad,
0: very bad. Go over to crossingbroad.com, read the story, decide for yourself. I don't like to end on a down note here, Bob, so let's pick the people up with one final thing here, like a 30-second blurb. And it's funny because I put that test thing in the, uh, in the podcast feed on Wednesday morning, and I said, hey, give us your feedback. Let us know what you want to hear us talk about. Uh, let us know what things are interesting to you. And Anytime we can first, communicate with readers of Crossing Broad, I get really excited. The, the first email that we got, I'm going to address it right now. Actually, second one. Wow, wait a second. We heard, we already got two emails back, and both of them, Bob, both of them have asked for a little bit of Philadelphia Union talk. And I'm okay. going to end on this positive note, Bob. The Philadelphia Union are 5-1-1. One, and one. They lost their first game of the season last week. They are top of the Eastern Conference. They have a legitimate shot to, to contend for MLS Cup and to potentially go deep in the CONCACAF Champions League. I'm very excited. Go listen to It's Always Soccer in Philadelphia with Kevin Kincaid. And I'll tell you what, I'll make a promise. If we come back and we do this show again, which I don't know, Bob, we're smiling a little bit. Maybe we will. A union minute? We do this again. We might have to do a Philadelphia Union minute, and we might have to bring in Kevin Kincaid. But in all seriousness, when the summer starts to drone on and the, the Sixer season's over, the Flyer season's over, the, the Eagles are whatever, it's going to be the Phillies in the Union. And I, I swear, Bob, if the <laughs> Phillies look as bad as they've looked and if the Phillies trend that way, the Union have actually seen an uptick, I think, in attendance and invisibility and all that jazz. They're a legitimate team that could actually contend for the title in their league. And that's a big deal. So that is your Philadelphia union coverage on this jam packed episode. Big bet, Bob,
1: can people expect to see you out at Subaru park this summer? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Let's go baby. Listen, I will say this. And I was very thankful just now that you did not turn it over to me for any union analysis, uh, because Mm -hmm. I have none, but I am of the mindset though. I do not love soccer and it is not a, a passion of mine. I love that people love soccer. I love that people love the Union, that the Union are performing well. Why do we do this thing in this city where we have to shit on what people like? Go ahead, yep. Union Rock on, baby. What did you say, CONCACAF Cup? Let's get it. Conca-
0: yeah, baby. Let's no. go. And you
1: don't forget, what?
0: Bob, don't forget, the MLS season is going to butt up very close to the World Cup this year in Qatar. And I mean, let's just talk about it, right? Because US, I think, is going to play England on Black Friday. What a big moment, Bob. An absolutely incredible moment here for the United States men's national team as they look to take down the one-time oppressors in the UK, England. Absolutely fantastic. Very
1: quickly. So are you uh, the type of person that says, well, I, I watch. I watch soccer all the time. I follow it. And I am offended when you tune in the day after Thanksgiving to watch. It's not your sport. You're not allowed to watch. Are you, do you kind of like, am I a gatekeeper? Keeper? Is that what yeah, you're asking Yeah, you me? gatekeeping or, or are you nah. kind of like, yeah, come on, let's all do it. That's stupid. USA, it's baby. stupid. I, this is why
0: I think it's silly that for so long sports radio hosts turn their back on the idea of like even bringing up the union for like a minute, right? Because it's, it was a team that was on the up and up. It's a team that's gotten better every year. It's a team that is interesting, has a great atmosphere. I will tell you, if you've not gone to a Philadelphia Union game and you've not gotten to experience the atmosphere at Subaru Park, like that's something you should put on your summer checklist because I have never met a person, even people who don't like soccer, who have gone down to Subaru Park and have walked away saying, yeah, I'm not going to do that again. It's a great atmosphere. It's a lot of fun. Tickets are cheap. Concessions are relatively cheap. Getting in and out of Chester, especially getting out at, at night when the traffic is just like out the wazoo, not the most enjoyable, but it's a great time. And no, if if you don't care about soccer until the World Cup runs or like comes around, or you decide, hey, I just want to tune into, you know, cheering on America, that's fine. I don't care. You don't need to know who all the players are. The only player you really need to know who who is, is like Christian Pulisic because he grew up in Hershey, right? Like that's it. Other than that, who cares? All right. That's how I feel, Bob. That's how I feel. I'm with
1: you, 100%.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this inaugural episode or something of Crossing Broadcast or something with Big Bet Bob Wankel. Find him on Twitter. Bob, where do they find you? Oh,
1: that would be at Bob Wankel CB. That's right.
0: Now, you know what? I'm going to make life even easier. Go into the description of this episode and I'll have a link to Bob's Twitter. You can go follow him. You can go talk to him about soccer. That's what he wants to do. You can find me on Twitter at JoyOnBroad. You know what? There's a small chance. I'm not going to guarantee it. I don't want to promise it. There is a small chance this episode might end up on the Crossing Broad YouTube channel. It all depends. I don't know, Bob. I want people to see that pastel shirt. I feel like maybe there's a chance here. I'll ping video guy Craig. We'll see if he puts it up. If he doesn't, no harm, no foul. Don't forget, Wednesday night, Game 3 on Twitter, Crossing Broad Twitter, post-game. We'll have a Sixers Spaces going, so you can always listen in there, you can tune in, you can request to speak, and let's just get crazy, all right? Thanks for listening. Maybe we'll come back. Who knows? Keep your eyes peeled here to the Crossing Broadcast feed. For Bob, I'm Russ. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Maybe.